We sit glued to the TV set all night And every night Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright We got nothing better to do Than watch TV and have a couple of Hello and welcome to TV Times 3 episode number 134 Today we have a few news items and then we'll be talking about The Good Wife, Once Upon a Time, GCB, Castle, don't trust the B in apartment 23 and revenge. And then a couple things in my reality check. Um, you'll find the full notes with time codes for each segment at tvtimes3.com slash 134. I'm Amory from mytakeontv.com. I'm Jason the TVaholic from tvaholic.com. And this week we have joining us... Miles McNutt from, I guess, Cultural Learnings, but I guess also the AV Club as well. I tend to get around. <laughs> he gets around, this guy. He gets around. Um, welcome, Miles. Thank you. I love being with you guys. We love having you. It's always nice to have a familiar voice. I was re- I was recalling the other day how Miles and I first met, and I we told this story before, but I just I forget what I was doing, but I was thinking of something, and I remembered Miles just kind of like being behind me and Ray at Paley, and looking over and like recognizing our Twitter icons or something. It was just I forget yeah. what brought it up, but it just made me laugh. It was it was it was it was suitably it was like a creep cute. It was. It bit. was a creep cue. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've never heard that. I love that. Might, that. that might be the best way of framing it. But no, and so and from auspicious beginnings, yeah. such is. So, yeah. yeah. I remember the. I remember that tweet. The uh, it's like <laughs> my Twitter feed in real life or something like that was. Uh, yeah. Yes. No. That's 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 this where it's where things begin. Those magical moments. Yes. Those magic moments. Right. Um, yes. Is that from that's that's on the Grease soundtrack. So anyway, um, <laughs> jumping into news, we didn't have any news the last time I was on the call, but now we do. TNT has renewed Southland for a fifth season. Super excited about that, you guys, because everybody knows how much I love Southland so much. Yeah, but I think that was a case for me where I I've, I've probably seen one episode of the show in total from some point in the future. But I hear enough things about the show. It's the kind of show that like I want it to continue so it continues to exist so that someday in the distant future, mm-hmm. there will be more of it for me to kind of put my tail between my legs and go back and watch it and discover how good it was. I, w- I want that to be something that can happen. And it seems like TNT has been fine fostering that in a way that's been allowing that to take place, which I think is good for cable drama production in general, but for the show in particular. Exactly. Exactly. So um, the CW has renewed 90210, Supernatural and the Vampire Diaries for next season. I'm kind of like on all of them because I'm not watching Vampire Diaries anymore. Just I couldn't keep up with it. Not because it's like difficult to follow, but I just too much (laughs) other stuff on. Um, And Supernatural... I just have no interest in it anymore. And yes, yes, Jeremy returning as showrunner, Jeremy Carver, like coming back to the show full time as showrunner could maybe sway me because I do love Jeremy. But um, I don't know if Anna's not going to be with him. Like, I don't know, because I'm kind of getting used to them from being human now. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to it. But who knows? That's about it. I have a feeling they're going to cancel Ringer. I wouldn't be surprised. That that seems like a pretty good feeling, especially because, I mean, Sarah Michelle Gellar is pregnant. Yeah. So they're going to have to work around it. That seems like a lot to... Yeah. It seems like too much for a show that struggles as it is. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, Ringer is that show, though, that, like, by the... It was... It sort of meandered along, and it was kind of terrible at times, And but then it had, like, the final episode, and you're like, wait, I want to see what happens at the next episode. Now... <laughs> Now that nobody's too little too late, our friends. And I feel bad because they all signed on to the show thinking, oh, hey, we're going to be on a CBS. Yeah. You know, and then they got on CW and then they got CW numbers worse than CW numbers. And that should be the end of that. But we'll see. Maybe they'll surprise us all. Although if you uh, had to choose between like if you had to choose between Nikita and Ringer and Heart of Dixie, like without a doubt, Heart of Dixie. I yeah I mean and for me that's a question of I mean that's really nothing against Nikita it is something against Ringer right. it's very much something it against, against Ringer, Ringer. I yes. think Nikita's ha- got frankly it didn't need to be renewed this season based on numbers like it was lucky to get the second season 
in many ways. And I think for that reason alone, I think Heart of Dixie has some real potential to grow. I think that it has some good pedigree behind it. I think it has, I also think it has the most connection to what the CW views its audience as. Yes. And for that reason alone, I think it would be strange for them to cut it loose when it seems like the Ringer Nikita model of these sort of action series that don't have a tie to the supernatural or the occult or whatever you want to call it, um, don't seem to be working as well for the network. I don't think they fit. And I think that for that reason alone, Heart of Dixie makes the most logical sense. A hundred percent. I'm with you a hundred percent. Because I mean, I would like if I had, if I could pick two, I would definitely pick Heart of Dixie and Nikita. Yeah. Like I don't care about Ringer at all. Whatever. Although Secret Circle. I don't care about Secret Circle. <laughs> really? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I have absolutely no effective relationship with that. Really? Oh, no. Darn. So I'm sure the LA Complex is never going to see um, more than the six episodes the CW is going to air. Well, even there though it's new to yeah. Canada. Exactly. And I, I feel as though we need to say, and also, I mean, I, I've, I've only seen the first two, but I like them. A fair I was deal. pleasantly um, surprised. I'm with yeah. you on that. I was, I was so, surprised. But I think it's one of those circumstances where maybe they end up thinking next summer, like, oh, let's just throw these things on the air. Um, like, treat it like a summer show. Don't pretend you're launching it during the season. Um, yeah. Like, the fact that it was the lowest rated show on record for them, like, okay, fine, whatever. But at the end of the day, it's still better than what repeats are going to be drawing during the summer. Yeah, exactly. I think since I think it would have actually worked better if they would have put a little bit more marketing behind it as, and added it to their you know they've added a bunch of reality shows that they're premiering for the first time having actual new content over the summer i think that this would have worked much better if they would have added that in as this also the scripted show you know over the summer instead of trying to sort of yeah launch it towards the end of the end of the you know end of the tv season with only since they only had a handful of episodes really to air that's the other question I wonder if if they maybe shouldn't have waited until next mid season and aired the twelve episodes together, which is what which is what Sci-Fi did with Lost Girl, in that Brink right. buying it for the Canadian rights, they had both seasons to work with, so they had twenty two as opposed to twelve or however many ended up being, which meant that they could have consistency, they could build momentum, they could say here's this package of episodes. When you only have six to work with, you have this tendency to slot it somewhere awkward mid season, halfway between other things, which is very rarely actually effective in terms right. of catching viewers attention because it's gone before it can really make any sort of an impact. Parentheses Bent and BFF on NBC. Which, both of which were in similar circumstances. And But NBC has this weird strategy of picking up six episodes of a show. Yeah. Um, for what I can, for what I can understand, is simply this desire of maybe if something really clicks, we could potentially pick it up. Right. But it's just such a hedging. I mean, it thoughts. worked for The Office and it worked for Parks and Rec, but it hasn't worked and it's not working. <laughs> well, well, the thing I mean, with The Office, um, that was a circumstance where there was a lot of star power behind it. Um, yeah. In the case of Parks and Rec, there was also star power, but Parks and Rec would have had a longer first season were it not for Amy Poehler's pregnancy. Exactly. So they would have ordered more of that show, but they weren't able to, which meant that six episodes, they always sort of knew they were probably going to renew it because they wanted to stay in the Greg Daniels business and they wanted to stay in the Amy Poehler business. And it just so happened to develop into this great show. But they we weren't yeah. betting on that in the way that it was something like Bent, where they could have ordered 13 episodes of Bent. Nothing was stopping them from doing that. Yeah. But and it pisses hedging. me off that they didn't. Yes. No, I think that <laughs> – I mean I, I, I didn't go beyond the pilot of BFF, which I thought was fine. Um, but Ben certainly was – it was charming. It was effective. And that's the kind of show that you think could develop with word of mouth and that was never really yeah. given that opportunity. All right. Definitely there. And the uh, the LA Complex one, I'm surprised that it, still that it did because it even with the little bit of promotion that it did get, the critical praise of it, like the stuff that I saw in the day or two leading up to it that this was coming was all positive. Yeah. You know, I never really yeah. saw anything that was like, oh, I didn't see too much about, oh, man, this, you know, Canadian series they're throwing up here. That's just terrible. Uh, and so for it to just debut, like nobody, like nobody checked it out at all, pretty much, you know, was also to be realistic, no one checks out anything in the CW at this point. Yeah, like it's I mean, true. We're, we're we're reaching critical mass of the point at which the CW ceases functioning as a network, 
And so I think that we need to sort of keep that in mind as we think about these renewals. And 90210 is a fine example of that. What did it do to deserve renewal? As far as I can tell, it's be close enough to syndication so that somehow the CW can make money off of SoapNet. That's exactly. all. That, that's that's pretty exactly. much it. That's that's the extent of the logic moving here, which means that it's tough to know exactly what they're going to do with the rest of their shows when the seeming logic behind it is so kind of slippery for us to grasp onto. So we shall see. Yes. Another show that's ending, Canadian series Flashpoint, will come to an end after what I was surprised to find out is its fifth season. <laughs> This, I do love Rico. I love Rico very much. They played it watching. so oddly down here. It yeah. Never, it never played in a true, on CBS, it never played in like a true season form, really. You know, it never ended where a season ended or started where a season started type of thing. And it didn't necessarily always play in the order of the how the episodes aired. When it moved to Ion, they did start playing everything, replaying everything in order and then have been playing, you know, then like for the fourth season or whatever, they actually played those episodes out in, in their their proper order, I think it was. But yeah, it's, there's actually, there's actually a good number of episodes of that show. <laughs> like, well, good for them. Good for yeah. them. And I will say that in the case of the Flashpoint, I saw some of the writers, uh, Canadian writers go by on my Twitter feed. And this is apparently ending on their own terms. Oh, okay. So... From what from what seems to be indicating, like, well, maybe they might have been willing to continue, but it seems like it's more of a mutual decision of how they want to go forward of ending the show at a point where everybody feels comfortable with it. Yeah. So that's at least the rhetoric being put forward. Um, I think based on the people I know who are involved with that, that they would be willing to kind of name names if things were more contentious. So I think that's a that's a typically Canadian end to a television series. <laughs> Typically, one of Canadian. my favorite shows actually to come out of Canada. Hmm. It's very well produced. Like it, it doesn't. Don't take this the wrong way, Miles. But it doesn't feel Canadian. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not take that the wrong way in the least. I totally understand what you're saying. You know, I think it does. It makes good use of Toronto. It makes good use of the cast. Is strong. I mean, it's just a solid little show. Um, yeah. And I think you know, I don't have time to watch it, but I know my parents enjoy it. So. <laughs> So there you have it. Um, okay, this is my confession time. Lifetime has renewed the client list for a second season, and I'm, like, really happy <laughs> because it's just, I mean, it's not going to win any awards and or anything, um, but it's just a fun, ridiculous show that I'm enjoying. Like, I record the 2 a.m. Sunday night viewing because there's so much else on Sunday, and I catch it up through the week. Whatever. It's not hurting anybody. Jennifer Love Hewitt is adorable. Colin Egglesfeld is hot. And them together, whatever. I will watch it, and I'm glad I got a second season. Whatever. Television for women. <laughs> With a stupid new logo. Isn't it like your your life, your time? Yes. <laughs> yes, because that's what everybody's experiencing. That's, that's their new tagline. Oh, my God. Good Lord. Doesn't make any sense. Um, okay. I mean, life and time does, but whatever. Um, we'll talk about like pickups for new shows in the next one. So no news there yet. Now we're moving on to prime time because we got a lot of stuff. We don't have that much to talk about. We've got some stuff. The Good Wife, season three, episode 22, the Dream Team season finale. Okay. Maybe this is going to be an unpopular opinion because I haven't really seen this online or not. But uh, I didn't. Love, love this episode. There were moments that I loved, that elevator scene, and then the eleva- the scene immediately following. Hi, Kalinda, this is a surprise party for you, and then Patty's baby <laughs> walking by or scrolling by. Like, that was a genius scene. But otherwise, this just felt like um, a filler episode in the middle of the season to me. I don't know. It, it was- didn't have stakes I was expecting. I'm completely with you. Um, and I've seen, I mean, I've seen some kind of massive praise around it. And look, I mean... The performances stayed strong. I love Martha Plimpton. I love Michael J. Fox. I love their combination. But all of it felt regular. Yeah, but it felt very rote. Like this is how, given everything that's in play, this is how you turn it into a suspenseful season finale and blah blah blah. And everything with Kalinda is like it's very 
moody and atmospheric, but it wasn't thrilling in the way I think some people perceived it as. Yeah. And I, I personally have issues with Alicia's storyline of her sliding back into life with Peter. I felt as if though that was he was. It, I know it's I know it's purposely regressive. I know she's pondering this regression in terms of what it means to her life. But part of me is sitting here thinking, just like I don't buy this as a character motivation. I see it as a plot development. Yes. Like it's a narrative tool they're using that's just like, of course, this is what's happening. And the whole finale felt that way for me where things get unearthed and brought to the surface because they need to in a season finale and not because we've actually gotten to that point within the structure of the series. Yeah, and I um, that kind of goes with what I was thinking. Like it felt very – like that scene in the, with Will and Alicia – I think people wanted to like this episode so much and they wanted to be as excited about this episode as they were for the season. So they're like, oh, they had this great scene where there's totally an open if for hope and there's, a, you know, their relationship isn't over. And I didn't get that from that scene. I was bored by that scene. It was nice of them to have a little bit of a closure. I just, I don't know. I don't have a hope going forward and I don't have an idea going forward of where they want to be in season four. Yeah, no, I, I personally got very limited. And the thing is, like, they when they brought up the idea of um, Plimpton and Fox's characters, I thought that was going to be like a new arc. Like, they were going to be positioned in this structure. I thought they were going to be developing something long term that could right. bring all these characters in. But it ended up just kind of resting on ideas and really simple binaries and like structures. And it's like there's something about that I appreciate the simplicity of it. I don't feel as though every show needs to have this huge complex cliffhanger structure, but yet I felt the show wanted it to be a cliffhanger when it didn't feel like one. Yes. Like they thought it was having a greater impact than it really was that I, um, if they were aiming for something small, I think I would have appreciated it. But I read some of those moments as attempts at connecting to these areas that weren't connecting for me in the ways I think one would have expected and the way I saw other people responding to them. Yes. I, I quite enjoyed the episode, but I, it, it did sort of feel like, yeah, we need to, uh, we're going to bring all these people on so that we, you know, and do a few things here to, because it's the season finale. Uh, mm-hmm. and, but within that, the, uh, the other with like the Kalinda storyline, it also felt kind of like about time, like where you actually get a little more information about like what it is that she's sort of been running or hiding from. Yeah, what that deal was that that so got backburnered like for most of this season where you thought once that Alicia became her, you know, attorney while Will was on his suspension, that maybe more of it would have come out sooner or or something. You know, you thought that like maybe uh, Will maybe knew a little bit more about it. But now, you know once Alicia found out about it, then, you know, we as the audience would find out about it or something, but it was, mm-hmm. it was still just completely hidden. And you were just like, fine. It, it, it's felt sort of anticlimactic in, in some respects where you're like, finally, Oh, it's her husband, you know, or yeah. kind of that, that's the, well, I guess we'll find out why he's such a bad guy or why she's on the run from him or, or whatnot. But that was, that felt a little low. the, the teaming up of Michael J. Fox and Martha Plimpton was just fantastic, though. And, mm-hmm. and every time the baby came, oh my god, that baby, Walker, the freaking baby, it was, it's hysterical. It was hilarious, and, and the, like you said, the one of I think one of the best overall scenes, just where everything is gone this season, when she's waiting at the elevator and <laughs> the two guys. Sort of that have been in her life come off the elevator. Oh my god, they played and, that scene so perfectly. It was so perfectly yeah, done. And then Eli shows up and and all this stuff, and then the baby comes walking through, and he's like, "Yeah, n- new associate, you know." <laughs> new, oh my god, so well done. Was, I don't know. The, the yeah. Sort of the tension in there, and the but like the lightness of it, and what was going on, I think uh, worked really well. I think if they're sort of setting up those two characters to come back more times, you know, partnered up, you know, to keep coming after, uh, you know, the firm or whatever, I I think is sort of what they were setting up there. But it, it also had some of the stuff in there, like you guys were talking about where it's felt like, okay, this is the, the final episode. We need to, 
leave people wondering about, you know, who exactly or what exactly is Kalinda's, you know, husband. Uh, yeah. Is is Alicia leaving the house or is she really going to turn around and go back? You know, all these type of things that you have, like. The idea of a backslide. Oh, why would you ever go back to that man? Alicia. <laughs> Well, I anyway. still think it's it's still the it's the family thing, like the the for her. Oh, I get it. I just don't like just Chris knows. Like yeah, like I totally understand it, but I'm a sort of family. I'm just like I dislike it, and yeah. like that's not to say that it's bad. And see, that's not to say it's bad TV. I'm not like oh, this was well rendered. It was it was beautifully rendered. The character work, the performances, the writing, everything basically works. I just dislike what that says about the character what it says about the version of the character in my head and i feel comfortable like just performing that to say look i just did not like where that went and therefore probably like the episode considerably less because of it yes yes simple so simple as that that's the good wife uh once upon a time season one episode 21 an apple is red as blood i made a good point today when i was talking to alex about this um I don't necessarily like the show. I'm not like off the fence or whatever, but somehow I've gotten invested. Like I want to see how they get themselves out of what they've gotten themselves into. And I don't think it's a testament to any good writing or any good acting. Like I don't love the show. The effects are terrible, whatever. Um, But I do want to see where it goes. And I do want to see, because I know this is going to get a second season. It's huge for them. Um, I want to see how they could possibly write themselves and not into a corner because the only real way this ends is that at the end of the season, she's already ready to make a stand. Like, where do they go next? So I'm curious. I stopped watching it weeks ago. So what exactly is happening? Explain the entire thing to me. Everything. The Just entire kind of thing is basically it. this. Basically, Henry is trying to convince Emma that it's a real book, right? And like yeah. Henry is, with reckless abandon, is just calling everybody by their character names, essentially. Um, and we find out that this mysterious guy in town is actually Pinocchio when he's turning into wood because he was a bad kid as a child. Because he actually went through the portal with Emma and saved her, but then ditched her. So then he did a bad thing and he's turning back into a wood. So Emma doesn't believe it, even when he shows her his fake leg and all this stuff. And she finally, I think, starting to believe it because Regina gets really angry and gets some other people in town that know that they're still from the old town, you know, from the crazy place. Um, she gets him the Mad Hatter to send, to bring her a, a poison apple, the poison apple she poisoned Snow White with. She's going to bake into a turnover for Emma, you know, as one does. Of course. So she bakes it into a turnover. And by the end of the episode, Emma's still arguing with Henry. Like I'm leaving town. This is not real. You need realistic. You know, you have a weird view of the world. Nobody's like a queen that's trying to kill everybody. So to prove it to her, because this kid's an idiot, he eats the turnover that he's convinced is poisonous and bam, he's out. Awesome. So that's where they've ended this last episode, right? And so we kind of see, like, okay, Emma's probably going to start to believe that maybe this really was poisoned, and either, she, like, Regina's delusional, or she might actually be the queen. So who knows where it's going to go. Yeah, I mean, like, to me, like, to me, it was always, like, that all sounds like a really roundabout way of getting to the same things they were talking about in the beginning. Yeah, and oh, yeah, always, absolutely. That was always my sort of issue was, is that... I, part of me, I don't know, I, I think the show, I've always had issues with the show's uh, blatant attempts to, like, basically call back to Lost at any potential moment, which right. is just Kit and Horowitz performing their Lost pedigree in constant forms, and I find it tiring, I find it pointless, like, let the show speak for itself, and part of me is just sort of like, you don't need this deep like conspiracy mythology if you're telling a fairy tale show like tell a show about whimsy tell a show about kind of dark whimsy like be about themes and ideas and atmosphere don't try to be about this huge sprawling narrative and speculation and all that kind of stuff if you're not going to be able to sustain it successfully like to me they're creating more problems for themselves than anything else agreed agreed and they don't know how to write themselves out of it and that concerns me because they're going to be in the corner but I just find the show fascinating to watch when just watching them tie these two sides of the story together in each episode and how you're now watching like this episode is like episode 21, but it starts to fill in a little bit of the story that happens right before that you see in the fairy tale world in like episode two. To me, just the pure mechanics of how they had to lay out this season in advance of assigning any writers to any specific episode 
to me, I think is amazing because you can't like on a, a given show you have whatever the thing of the week is and you assign, you know, a writer to take this, you know, you're going to be, he wants to write a show about this takes place, but then you sort of map it out that within that he needs to add in a couple of things for the overall story arc. This one is so pieces here and there that the story that they've told in the alternate timeline, they've told it so out of order Oh my god, the nonlinear storylines are killing me. To fit with whatever the story that's happening in the you know, the real world is I I just find it fascinating to watch. And whether performances aren't so great all the time or are Perilla, Lana Perilla, the devil. Or all these things. I I know you don't like her, but I still think she pulls off the mad evil queen. She's horrible. She's horrible. She's supposed She's... to be. <laughs> like... No, 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 no. I'm not saying she's so evil. I'm saying she's a terrible actress. There's a difference. Um, but I don't know. I'm interested to see where it goes. And um, there are a lot of returns in the finale, which I'm excited about because the one character I really liked is dead. Um, and um, that the be... sheriff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's coming back, but we don't know in what fashion. Probably in the past, not in the future. I mean, in the magic world, it's not the non-magic world. See, see, that's just and like that's the thing. Like to me, you could tell uh, you could tell this story without doing all that. Yeah, but then that's boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find the stuff that, where they're doing all this stuff is what I find interesting about the show, and what I find it worth watching. Uh, here's the positive I will say that I do like about the show. What well, just real quick, like what they do, like the. It's completely obvious that she's going to get the apple and then she's going to give it and that Henry is that at the end of the episode is going to go, well, I'll prove it to you by sure. eating it himself and uh, knowing what happens, you know, to somebody with, with that. That's all like that's one of those things where it, it happens on Awake as well that you you know what's happening. You know what's going to happen. But watching them do it is what I find is why I enjoy the show. Watching them tell a story that you know, but in such a fascinating and interesting and sort of twisted up way is is what I like. I really like that there are people in, in Storybrooke that um, know, you know, like there's the Mad Hatter, there's Rumpelstiltskin, there's Regina, pretty sure that the the fairy mother knows all about, like, there's people that know about the the magic world. So I'm glad that it's not like just one person knows and blah, 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 blah. Um, so that's nice. I don't know. That's but I'm moving nice. on. Cause I don't want to talk about it anymore. Okay. No. Um, GCV season one, episode 10 revelation season finale. So do we think that the show's coming back? <sighs> that's hard I, to say, I mean, it, well, it's one of those circumstances in which it looks great against Pan Am. Yeah. But... Right, but it doesn't look great against anything else. Against anything mean, else. Well, yeah, because their hope was we'll bring this on, uh, and Desperate Housewives is going out. Then we can and it'll take the place of it. TCB up an hour and put something else, you know. And but it it's it's not done as well as even a fading Desperate Housewives, where you could almost say that another season of Desperate Housewives would do better than another season right. of GCV. It would. It's a shame, because um, the, the cast is all excited about it, and I really like them all. Well, and I think the question for ABC is, it reaches a certain point in the process where, what is the value of renewing a series when you could just try something new? Yeah. And I think for them, it's this logic of, I mean, technically speaking, if they were looking for a Desperate Housewives replacement, the closest they got was not GCB, but was rather Revenge in terms of a successful primetime right. opera. Right. And Revenge's ratings are not that much better than GCB's, but they're in a slightly different kind of time slot, which doesn't have the same expectations. So I, I'm, I, they'll, they'll move Revenge somewhere. Whether we'll be into the Desperate Housewives slot or not remains to, be in, remains to be seen. But they're playing around with that. But if you look at what they're trying to do for ABC, they've already ordered Mistresses to series, which is another show about, you know, four female leads, uh, different places in their lives, different kind yeah. of 
character types, different uh, ethnicities and things of this nature. So they're clearly still looking for that replacement. And did GCB do enough ratings-wise or creatively to justify it over the shiny new things that ABC is going to have paraded over them that won't have the stink of barely managing to hold on to – 55% 55% of Desperate Housewives audience. What it does have going for it is that it has Kristen Chenoweth and ABC is, an, is a big fan of Kristen Chenoweth. As they should she be. She got them Emmy love. Like she's, she got an Emmy love for a canceled series. Like she is someone they want to stay in business with. So maybe they'll try it for like another short season. But if it doesn't do well in the first half, maybe they'll just can it. Um, because I think there's a lot of stories to come from there. And I think in this finale, like, it was ridiculous. And Sandra Bernard, who I love dearly, playing your classic Sandra Bernard character, um, she says she would be back. And Grant Bowler says he would be back. Like, there's so much that they're still, like, they left it open-ended and they all would want to come back. Um, I just feel like it, it. maybe it doesn't deserve it because it doesn't have the great ratings, but there's something there. If they can go a little darker, if they can give it a dark comedy spin instead of this everything gets resolved kind of thing they've been doing i think it needs to change a little bit but i don't know how well i think it could be one of those shows that you know they did their first season they get you know it's one of those that it's done by the time it airs it's done so then they see what the feedback is from fans what fans yeah what fans didn't like what they liked about the show themselves what they didn't like and you know can make a, a change or two here in the and and really sort of say you know found what they want the show to be in going into a second season but i i just find it to be it's just fun silliness you know sort of to watch that uh, watching these sort of bigger than life texas you know characters you know in this weird setting world that they've set up for them uh and watching them interact is just fun on a weekly basis it's it's uh it's it's sort of the mindless take your mind off your week, you know, last thing to watch before, you know, on, on TV before getting, going to sleep and getting up for the week to come, uh, type of show, you know, it just, uh, it's almost really desperate housewives without a murder mystery. Yeah. And I, and I guess, but here's the thing though, is it, the problem the ABC is doing is that they're not trying to create Desperate Housewives now. They're trying to create Desperate Housewives when it was the most buzzed about show on TV. Right. When things like the murder mystery and just even the character actions created the sense of must-see television that was more than just letting something wash over you as a pleasant little thing at the end of the week. It was you need to be sitting in front of your television seat. And ABC has yeah. been trying to recreate that ever since Lost and Desperate Housewives have both fallen out of favor or been – or concluded, they're looking for that next replacement. And on that level, Revenge is the closest thing that took on that capacity, but was still interrupted by hiatuses. It's still kind of, you know, struggling. It's not struggling. It'll get renewed. It's not in danger of cancellation. But it's this idea that Buzz is no longer generating these huge hits the way it once did. And what buzzes around Revenge is completely absent from GCB, which, I mean, I, I watched the pilot last summer. I thought it was fine. I had no real relationship with it. I didn't start watching when it debuted mid-season because I was too busy. But you sort of started to think, like, I didn't hear anything about it. I couldn't tell you a single thing that's happened. And, like, right. while I may be busy, I'm not so disconnected that if something really big had taken place that suggested the show had taken some sort of hold on popular culture, I think I would have seen it. I think I would have seen people talking about it and tweeting it and all this kind of thing. And that just seems like it's been completely off the radar. And its invisibility, to me, is almost more damaging than its actual ratings. Like a show with low ratings but high visibility because of Twitter chatter, etc., I think might survive in this environment. But GCB just has nothing else, to my mind, to really connect it with idea of building an audience and a future for the show. Yeah, there's, there's not right. a, Yeah, there's not a huge... Uh... Like that, anything's going to Twitter trend of, around GCB right. type of thing, right? Where something like Revenge, which, like you said, isn't doing overall wise ratings wise that much better. It it's doing pretty well, but like it's not even doing as well as you would think it was. It would be doing based on watching things like Twitter and stuff like that. Because when an episode's yeah. airing, it's just like people are like, "Oh, I'm 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 you know I'm watching Revenge," or, or it's all about Revenge. You know that that Wednesday night uh, yeah. lineup in general that ABC has, 
that and you're I love watching kinda, NBC, ABC from eight to eleven. Yeah, I love it. Surprised that it's not doing even better than it is. Yeah, I don't know. But I think Revenge has the possibility of being the show that it has that sort of buzz a little bit around it that people tell other people about it. Type yeah, of thing, and that by a second season, it could actually potentially even grow a little bit. Agreed. Yeah. We'll see. Moving on. We didn't really talk about the episode, but like we said, there's not really much to talk about. Um, <laughs> Castle, season four, episode 22, Undead Again. It, it was a fun episode. I like that the show has been able to, I mean, I hate the way that they're kind of doing the will they, won't they. They keep having all these things that are on their way. When when Marlo wasn't doing that for the first three seasons, and now he's throwing all kinds of PCs in their way, I do like that they can still have an issue but still have a ridiculously fun episode where there's zombies and it, they still, it like stays within the narrative. Well, I think that this show does that type of stuff where they have an incredibly big sort of conversation where they don't exactly spell things out, but he's wearing zombie makeup. You know, it's like, it's like this big sort of conversation between the two of them but he's wearing the zombie getup in the middle of this sort of big conversation between the two of them. Right. It sort of gets them closer to being back where they were three or four episodes before he found out that she has known all along, you know, what he said when she got shot. And right. I, I'm, like I've said before previously, I'm fine with what they've been doing in these last few episodes and, and the to put things in flux a little bit. I mean, that's just, you know... It's it's creating drama, but that you got to do that on the show. Otherwise, it's just nothing. But it it has a purpose in that it's building towards this finale. But I still, you know, that I've been saying all along that if by the end of this season there isn't an actual acknowledgement between the two of them, then from here on they're just screwing with us. In, in right? The, will they? Won't they? I'm I'm fine with what they've been doing this season and how they've built the season. But once you go past where they've gone now, then future things become you're just putting up roadblocks for the sake of roadblocks. Yes. But I think I don't the know. whole thing around, I think they do these, epi- but these type of episodes really well where they bring in like this, a zombie episode or, you know, they do an episode that's like aliens, you know, or an X-Files type episode, or they did, you know, like a fairy tale type episode. I think they hit on these other things yet ground them in reality of, you know, there is no zombies, but yet still have a lot of fun with, through, through the whole thing where they're like, but it looks like a zombie kill. Right. Well, well, I mean, like, I don't watch the show regularly, but I think what it's doing is, I mean, it's going to sound way too academic, but it's it's using genre as a form of differentiation by kind of playing in these generic conventions outside of the crime show in order to appeal to what is more of a sort of, it is a strong fan base. It is a stronger fan base, I think, in terms of fan activity, in terms of more traditional adaptations of fandom around Nathan Fillion and around Mm -hmm. the show in general, than do a lot of crime procedurals. And so I think it's taking advantage of that by being a bit more lighthearted, more generally relying on humor. But I think genre is another way of doing that, of doing special episodes. It's really the same strategy something like Community uses. And that Community is also a sitcom on a basic level. It's about a workplace or a school environment. But it does these episodes to tie into those fan discourses. And Castle's really just doing the same thing within this different structure, which I think is, is it's a very smart strategy. And it's worked really well for them. I mean, Castle is a very comfortable kind of it's, – it's, obviously it has comparisons to Bones on a number of levels. But like Bones, it's in a position where ABC, like Fox, is not in a position to cancel the show. Right. Exactly. It has fan bases. It's well rated. It draws well. It's drawn well in different circumstances. So I think it's it's nice to see the show kind of settling into a nice place in that sense. Yes. Agreed. I mean, I don't really have much to say beyond that, but I hope that they do it. I hope that they feel each other's love or whatever it was that I said in the finale. We'll see what happens. Uh, call um, back to the previous episode. Yes. Um, don't trust the bee in apartment 23 season one, episode four. The wedding. I think my favorite part of this episode was Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> he, he thinks he's being brought to, to make a speech. Right? Oh my god. So the third episode, which was the one that they didn't let us see before, like, because I saw one, two, and four. The third episode with the girl that used to be on Brothers and Sisters, 
was actually my favorite of the four because it felt sharper. It felt like they were a cast. And I think it kind of let me down a little bit in the wedding. Like knowing that that came before this episode had already seen, it kind of let me down going into Wednesday night's episode. But um, I don't know. I like it. I think the show is perfectly charming in its own way. And James Vanderbeek has never been better. I like this episode in that it tied in the three of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it developed the friendship, you know, it, you know, Chloe and, and, and James, that's, you know, but it, it tied the other two, you know, James and, and, and the roommate, which, why can I not think of her name? June. Yeah, June. It, it tied them together in, in a more friend way a little bit. And so it, it made them uh, together, uh, the three of them a little bit more uh, like closer in some respects. But I really like the show last week's episode with you know the potential you know body swap movie that mm-hmm. hasn't been done before with a, a father and daughter uh, type of stuff i was worried after the first episode when you know the only things that i laughed at were james vanderbeek jokes <laughs> where, which were stuff based on you know some of his films and on dawson's creek and then they did the the foreign commercial you know, intact for the, for that was the a great foreign commercial. I would. And so you were like, but for the most part, you were just like, okay, what are they going to do with this? You can't make fun of like, you can make fun of Dawson's Creek, but five episodes from now you've run out of material. Like it right. becomes repetitive. I'm like, what are they going to do? And so watching this episode where you see that, you know, the mention of him dancing with the stars or the bit about him being in, the Guy Ritchie movie, and then they show a clip, which is just hilariously, you know, just a hilariously well done spoof of that type of movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and those type of things, I think they've found a really good way to play in spoofing Hollywood and celebrity with Vanderbeek playing a version of himself that I wasn't sure what they were really going to do. And now I see that they have you know, sort of the sky's the limit on where they could go. And I, I'm really in on the show now. It's fun. Yeah. That, that's, I mean, ultimately, like, right now, I feel like it's still playing around with stuff. I don't think it has any clear set of what character dynamics are. I think throwing three characters together was interesting, and I thought it worked well, but I don't know if they could justify doing it every week. Right. Because these characters are supposed to have their own lives, and I mean, so I think for that reason alone, like, Chloe's life is so, like, up in the air, they can make it whatever they want, but June's is not so kind of rigid, like... They really similar to like happy endings in its first season. I thought was similar in that fact. Like yes, these people apparently had stuff, but it just became a hang show. But in this case, they're dealing with I think a smaller number of characters with less reasons for them to hang out, less structure. Right. They're new. They're new friends. They don't quite know what they are. And for that reason, like I still don't know entirely what this show would look like twenty episodes from now. And I think there's something about that that's fun in this environment. You just kind of sit back, watch it, whatever happens, happens. And I don't really feel I should be held against the show in that sense. But we were talking about little six-episode seasons. Like, even though this technically has 13 episodes, I'm not mm-hmm. sure we're going to get a real sense of what the show is until if it's picked up for a second season, which seems like a fairly good possibility. It seems like it's going to be, yeah. Given that, I'm like, then we can maybe see, okay – who are they going to add to the cast? What are they thinking about for this future? Like you feel as though there's going to be some major, not not so much major retooling and re- completely reimagining the show, but giving it more structure so that things like James Vanderbeek's, which I think is a great performance. I think he's, has, he's having a lot of fun with it. The show is finding some good ways to do it. Maybe they find a way to structure that a bit more clearly. Maybe they find right. new relationships to develop, et cetera. Love interests, you know, that's coming in the horizon. I feel once you add all of that, we maybe have a better understanding of what the show is. Is at this point, it's just sort of a fun little ride. Exactly what Miles said. I think that sums it up. Yeah, but I think it's a, it's a, become a <laughs> solid beginning that I can see potential of it going somewhere. Yeah, before yeah. I was just like, this is going to get this isn't going to this isn't going to last. Like, if the only thing I'm laughing at now is no longer going to be funny in five episodes. Then what do you do? What are they going to do? But I've seen that they are developing. They are doing things. And that's what happened. I'd rather watch that in a show instead of everything being so sort of delineated in the, 
try you know where they try and set everything up in the 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 first episode because then you have because then you have Cougar Town that becomes a completely different show five episodes later and but you're screwed because <laughs> because everybody thinks you know I I like the idea that you start with somewhat of a premise and then you just sort of let it develop yeah uh, oh Cougar Town and, and go from there and see what you come with and I like wa- watching that uh, you know I sort of in, enjoy the ride of. Uh, seen where they're going with it right we'll see we'll see last show to talk about this week revenge season one episode 19 absolution so i had been talking about how i wasn't a fan of the first episode back and this is the second episode back right yes or, or the third i don't know the first episode just was not the best yeah, no. season start again um but this episode was really it really amped up i mean aside from some pretty bad snow um, effects. Yes, which, they're not so great with the green screen. Well, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. Part of my dissertation research, which I'm fascinated by. It. But one of the things I find interesting is that I'm, when Jace Lacob interviewed Mike Kelly about this, he suggested that they imagine the show's like CGI backgrounds and things as almost like a snow globe effect. And I didn't know he meant that literally. <laughs> I thought he just said that it was kind of glossy and a little bit, like, shiny. I didn't realize they were actually going to make it look like they were in a giant snow globe. Right. So yes. I'd like to congratulate him on the literalism that he achieved in that respect. Um, no, they they just <laughs> think they, they just clearly don't have the budget to do it properly, and yet that's the way they're choosing to get around filming a show set in the Hamptons in the middle of winter in L.A., which is fine. Right. I accept that it happens, but they are officially reaching the point at which uh, basically I think they're looking forward to the time when they can jump forward and pretend yeah. it's no longer seasonal. Yeah, it almost felt uh, like daytime soap opera, you know, where there's like no budget to do. Anything. The graveyard in particular. <laughs> you know. That graveyard. That graveyard. The snow, <laughs> the, snow, the snow did not look like snow. <laughs> Crushed ice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it was precisely, but it's one of those things where I think going back to the whole idea that Mike Kelly, I think we was, we was making the snow globe comment. He was trying to get across the point like this show takes place in a heightened reality. And I don't entirely buy that. I think that the show privileges the real and its use of flyover shots that are clearly real flyover shots. Like yeah. they're not like fake. Like it's not as though there is no vision of reality. They have shot on some location circumstances. The pilot was all shot on location, which is creating further dissonance in those circumstances. So I call bullshit on that. But I think <laughs> the important question, I think, is the fact that does it ultimately damage my enjoyment of the show? And the answer is no. Um, I thought this week's episode was strong. I thought it was strong despite those effects. I think that it sold the character stuff well. I think it's been building some interesting points. I think it's got a lot of balls in the air that the show's handling well. The show is not consistent. I agree. The last couple episodes, I think, before this one were a bit weaker. I think it's been kind of a little back and forth in many ways. But I remain very compelled by enough elements of it that I certainly would be, as we were discussing earlier, likely to consider it the most interesting thing on ABC for me, at least personally. Yeah. And I, I mean, for I'm starting, I mean, initially when the first came out, when I hadn't seen it or when I'd only seen the pilot and I was like, okay, this woman's coming to this town for revenge. How's it going to last beyond a season? I am at the point where I, I don't have that question anymore. I think that they, Mike and his team are handling it deftly enough that I do have a sense that they have a plan. They know where it's going. They're, they're ratcheting up to something, but they also have a plan on how it's going to kind of blow us into the second season. So yeah. I'm kind of I'm off of that worry that I was in in the beginning of the season, and I'm just kind of sitting back and enjoying it. Um, and yeah, like you said, it could be a little more consistent, but um, most shows could. So I'm not going to fault it for that because it's more consistent than some other stuff Touché. that we've seen. Like we talked about though on on the last episode, that partially the reason the last you know the episode coming back felt. Uh, not quite as strong was is I don't think in anybody's mind ahead of time when they were writing and filming these episodes did anybody ever think that this was going to be an episode that was coming back from a long break right that if you would have just been watching that episode if it would have just come after the you know the previous episode there wouldn't have been a long break I don't think that there would have been as much of, of that a feeling of that as there was and that there was such a long layoff for a show that has that has these things that has this buzz that has this what's going on i want to watch this i want to you know and then you jump into an episode that if you'd waited a week there wouldn't have been like all right revenge is back you know? right <laughs> like 
but this, it was like off for like six or seven weeks, and you're like, oh, revenge is back. Oh, this was just kind of an episode. Right. But then they, you know, then they come back with this episode, which almost would have probably been a, maybe a better episode to, you know, come back, but then they would have been off longer. But It does kind of answer my question that do we think David's still alive? I, I'm pretty sure that he's not. I mean, I've, I I don't know that I've never raised the question, like, is David still alive? But it was always out there, like, you never saw a body. But this week we actually saw a body get stabbed. And Well, I also think, I mean, I actually saw, and I, I might be misremembering this, but I saw an interview with Mike Kelly that suggested that as soon as fans started theorizing whether David was still alive, they canceled any potential plans to make him still alive. Right. They like to, which is good, which I think is really yeah. smart to stay in. If their fans are starting to understand what they're doing, then maybe they're not as be, you know, being as secretive or whatever as they should be. And that's a really good idea. You know what? I wish Mike Kelly was writing Once Upon a Time. Here's why. <laughs> I'm going back to, to Lana Perilla for a minute. I loved Swingtown and I love what Mike Kelly did with Swingtown. And I loved, liked, I loved Molly Parker. I liked Lana Perilla in Swingtown. So maybe Mike Kelly can write. <laughs> Once upon a time next year, too. Also, we'll see. We'll see how that turns out. We'll see if they take my advice. I don't know. Just really, I'm I'm glad to see. I I mean that dog's gonna kick it soon, isn't it? This dog's like forty years old. It's pretty spry for a, a dog that's been around that long. I mean, exactly. Like we had a dog that lasted until seventeen, and if this dog is like seventeen, twenty years old or whatever, Sam couldn't see straight and he walked sideways. There is no way that this dog is as spry as he is. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. <laughs> to each his own, right? Yeah. So that's revenge and we'll see what happens. And I'm in it for the long haul because I do like these people. And that's about it. That's it for primetime. Um, let's talk some reality. The Amazing Race. Miles, you watch, right? Or did you not yep, watch the season? I did. Okay. I did. I, I found I myself can't... Like, not rooting for anybody. No, but also rooting for David and Rachel because I hated Brendan and Rachel. And I think that JJ and Art were just too into themselves to enjoy it. They, they, they became villains at a point yeah. where like and it's it was very passive. It was not this major sudden like realization. It, it just it's kind of accumulated over time. And there was a certain point when you realize like they were being pitched against Brendan and Rachel, and I still dislike them. Yeah, and that oh my God, Brendan and Rachel. That takes something truly um, just dickish, and yeah, I, I had trouble. Sure. Like, so when they got to the finale, and it didn't, and so like, and when they they received their comeuppance at a certain point along the way, and it's just like, this is great, this is wonderful. Yeah, and yes. and I, I mean, I was, I mean, that says what Dave and Rachel were able to do to have to do those paddle boats three times to have to go back and pick up that sled and get it right away. And like to have to overcome that. I thought for sure as I'm watching the episode and they're really focusing on like the signs that say you must stand up or we have to walk there or don't take it. Like yeah. I'm focused. Cause I saw all the previews, like something big's going to happen. Yes. So I'm focusing on all the stuff. And then Brendan and Rachel start to be these complete idiots. And I'm like, wait a minute, not start to be, but are, and then <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. Are are they going to be the team that comes in first and screws? I'm like, how is that possible? Well, that's because, that's what I was equally struggling with. Yeah, I don't know. It and, was just and, weird. And it's also weird too. I wish they hadn't shown it to us. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't understand the logic of that. They were building it to be suspense. And to be fair, despite the fact I wasn't rooting actively for a team and thought the season was kind of eh, whatever, um, I did think that the finale had a nice bit of suspense to it. That that mistake yeah. created some drama. There were lead changes. That final leg can occasionally be whoever gets off the plane first or whoever right. gets in the first cab. Like there can be no lead changes of any kind whatsoever. And at least in this case, it felt like there were those dynamics. Part of that was because the second challenge in particular was not built for a man to do. Right. In terms of the balance issues, which is why I think art had so many issues with it by comparison. And so I think there was some different disadvantages there um, that kind of worked through, which created some balance concerns. But that's logical. The game works that way, whatever. But I think the challenge from my experience was then knowing that that was happening, knowing that whoever got to the mat first was going to have to go back. 
like was stuck in my head more than I wanted it to be watching. Games. Exactly. I focused on that so much that I was like, really? Okay, is this going to be it? Is this going to be what they screw up? What's going to happen? Like, I, well, I was not rooting sh- for a team at that point. When they showed the first roadblock, and I'm like, how could anyone not do this roadblock? Right, because I because the the preview yeah. specifically stated that I'm like, oh come on, everyone is gonna be able to do it. Which then I knew there was a second roadblock, and it was clear what was sort of happening. And just you, you start dealing with those circumstances, and it's you you want it to work better than it does. And but I think they knew to a certain extent that they needed to create that level of narrative involvement of what's going to happen next, what's going to happen next, because we didn't care. Yeah. Because exactly. they realized they didn't have a wholly likable team that while Dave and Rachel I preferred to the other teams in the race, yeah. ultimately that's more because I find Rachel kind of badass and Dave's not the worst jerk I've ever seen in the race. Right. You know, not the worst of all the ones we've seen in the years past. So, And I, I think know. that relationship was helped by the fact that, yes, he was occasionally a dick, but she gave it back. Exactly. Like the, exactly. Like the, they the never relation- broke down no. as badly as we've seen other teams. And they they fought it out, but they fought it out with within one another, and they exactly. kind of had their moments. And like I thought, the moment during the finale, um, which is during the first half of it, where they kind of like they end up staying in the hostel overnight. And like I said, we had it out, right? Whatever tension they had the night before, they got rid of the next day. Exactly. And exactly. I think that's that's something that's sort of valuable in terms of a race partnership. And they won the most legs. I don't think they're the greatest team. I don't like them well enough. I think FX needs to play a role in who gets determined to be the best team in race history. But yeah. they won a lot of legs. They won the race, ultimately. They're from Madison, where I currently live. So that was, <laughs> so, it was a thrill. It all came yeah. together for you. It all came together for me. And <laughs> as, as as much as that season, which was dull, was yeah. going to come together. Yes, Like, exactly. best case scenario. Like ultimately, that could have been far worse. See, that's there's there's the supportive statement. It could have been far worse. Everybody, <laughs> the um, amazing race in season what it's, whatever it was season twenty eight hundred seventy five. It should it could have been worse. Um, so that's the amazing race. Uh, what about Survivor? Are you watching Survivor? I'm not. I mean, but I I've been following it enough to know it's like Tarzan and a bunch of girls. Yeah. So the girls' alliance pretty much. They they came around and they they defeated all the men. They're keeping Tarzan. Though I don't know why they're keeping Tarzan because he's done nothing to anybody. He's never been against anybody. He's never voted against anybody. Like and that I, has been kicked out. That man I, is going to win if he makes it to the top three. I was fascinated by that because I mean I'd seen stuff the beginning of the season and I um I actually uh, screened bum puzzled the episode where the guys choose to go to tribal council I screened that for my students this semester um, and because because I thought it was one of the most amazing episodes of television I've seen in my entire life yeah it was re- it was remarkably stupid and that tribal council was like everything it was race and class and sexuality and just people oh it's I, I'm. I was very sad to see the Colton had to leave under those circumstances because there's so much not. potential there. Okay, I, 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 I completely agree. But for the sake of my entertainment as, an yeah, pa- exactly. as a passive observer, I feel as though I was fine <laughs> in those terms. But it's like it's been one of those seasons where nothing after that point has resonated. Yeah, no, like I, I've, I haven't seen people talking about it. It seemed like it was a picking off circumstance with the girls' alliance, which I think is yeah. fine. And that, I mean, that's now they're starting to turn on each other, as you do, you know, which, and- which happens. But even then, it's sort of like. Once you once you miss that middle period, like to me, it's the period like if something switches at the merge, if something like really makes a big impact, like the game completely turns on its head, any of that kind of stuff, we know yeah. they're going to turn on each other in the end. That's still kind of very kind of specific and interesting. So I think I will say this, like I've yet to see anything fly by my Twitter feed to suggest that this is a survivor season. People need to rush out and get caught up on to see the finale. Uh, right. No, exactly. Like, you will. If you don't you're want. invested, if you're invested, yes. I mean, Survivor still works, right? The structure yeah. of things can still move in that capacity, but. Yes. So that's Survivor. I mean, I, if I have to root for a winner, like I hope Tarzan can hold on and do it because he'll win if he makes it. And I think he's only like three votes away. And he's actually for, you know, an older gentleman, he, he could compete if he put his mind to it. Like he could win immunities. But now yeah. that the girls are starting to implode on themselves and vote each other out. Like, 
he could weasel it back in there and manage to kind of surprise everybody. So I don't have a favorite because they're all kind of lame, but uh, I guess Kim, because she really did mastermind this. If she doesn't win, it's going to be like a Boston Rob get into a final and somebody beating him because she is kind of a female equivalent in the having seven different alliances and keeping them all straight and knowing who she was going against at one time. She did play well, but it's just like it was uneventful because you knew it was going to come. Like we knew what was happening. Yeah, like um, it, it didn't seem like that ever really changed the game. That was always the game. Exactly. Exactly. So that's Survivor. So the last one here on the list is The Voice. And I just want to wonder out loud why Christina Aguilera has such an angry, uh, why she hates Tony Luca so much, you guys. I'm putting that out to the world. I, I, I honestly, I feel as though it goes back to that initial appearance and the embarrassment she felt as a result. That that he didn't pick her? Oh, I'm part perhaps that he didn't pick her, but also I think in addition to that, that he didn't like make the connection known and had it so afterwards she had to kind of be told. It's like I think I might sort of know that person, and it became yeah. this whole controversy of like she's a perhaps a ditz, but also she's so above her past that she doesn't recognize this person she's been all this time with. I think something about that just in that moment yeah. it felt super strange. It did not feel like a friendly relationship. It did not feel like something, anything normal. And so I think there's something going on there perhaps that has put her into this position, but yeah, I've, I've seen bits and I haven't been watching, but I've seen bits and pieces of that. It's been very, it's very just, strange. it's so aggressive. And so like, I think you're one dimensional, like you can think someone's one dimensional, but because you have a personal history, it's automatically going to sound like an, an, a personal attack. So, it, I mean, so what if Justin Timberlake is saying he wants people to vote for, like, T- Tony Luca? So is Alicia Keys about Jermaine Paul. Like, he is Alicia Keys' backup singer. Don't you think that should be looked upon negatively because he has Alicia Keys voting for him? Like, so what? So what? I will love anything that any Mickey Mouse Club member is involved with automatically. Um, that it's Tony Luca and that I've been in love with him for 20 years makes it better makes it more interesting to be involved but um we'll see what happens do i think he's the best singer in the group probably not but would i buy his songs and his music absolutely because it's more in my wheelhouse um i don't know we'll see where it goes finales this week and um i'm just really hoping that america does the right thing and chooses um my boyfriend tony Luca. <laughs> see what happens yeah. but see like maybe it's just me but like and this is because i haven't been watching but the voice compared to American Idol, regardless of how I feel about American Idol, which I also haven't been watching, but it feels like such an anticlimax. Yeah. And I think it's because we've seen them perform so much less. Like they put so many people through the semifinals that they like they split them up like one yeah. week is one group, one week's the next. So there's not this continuity. With Idol, you see them each week. Each week they perform that one more song, you things add up, things move through. And I'm just like and so, like, with something like The Voice, I see people talking about the final four, and I can piece it together from what I saw in the battle rounds of who that sort of represents. But I guess I just don't feel the excitement that an American Idol finale still sort of creates, even when I haven't been paying attention. That there's something about it that feels, I don't know, that feels different to me. I don't know if I you get guys. That. I get that. I mean, I haven't been watching either of them this season, but I think American Idol is always, well, they've had the the bad singers and all that type of stuff in the in the beginning, it's all built to it builds. Each segment sort of builds on the next one and it's all towards getting that, you know, the final two and and stuff like that. And I think that the voice's big thing is the blind auditions. And so it starts really big. And then from what I understand from people that do watch the show is almost everybody hates the battle rounds. And so people sort of drop yeah. out, don't really pay attention. And then by the time they actually get to a competition that's m- more similar to American Idol in going down to finish out who's going to be, you know, the final people. Uh, it just, it's, it's lost something Yeah. In that, in that middle part of the season. They need to figure out how to f- fix, to have a season build momentum instead of, because everybody's super interested in that listening without seeing and then seeing, you know, right bringing that powerful voice or whatever type of thing. And that's a really good twist, but it's the biggest thing about the show is the beginning and it sort of falls off from then. I don't know. I kind of fast forward through every episode. I just love Tony Luca. (laughs) 
No, we'll see and that's what the thing. So exactly. And I'm very curious to see what the results are. Certainly. Yeah. We shall see. Okay. That's it. That's it for us today, folks. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to our friend Miles for joining us. Thank you for having me. And uh, I don't know what I say anymore. So find us online. What do I say first? Our music today is provided by IODA PromoNet. The song is TV Party by the Asylum Street Spankers from their Mercurial title put out by Yellow Dog Records. And find us online, uh, tvtimes3.com, spell it all out. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, stitcher.com slash TV, yeah, various the, other places. I think, I, I think it's the Tiva Watcher is the, is the name that I want to thank them for putting a, a, a review on iTunes. Oh, there was a review on iTunes. There's yeah a new a new review so our last review isn't from like a, a year ago or something. Nice, Although, nice. Uh, Kyle did update his too, so there's a couple uh, sort of <laughs> new reviews on on there. So thank you for that. Uh, you know, if you can rate or review us on iTunes, it's uh, always appreciated. Always appreciated. And, uh, you know, on anything, uh, rate or review us on Zune or you know BlackBerry or give us a thumbs up on Stitcher. You know. It's thumbs all, up, you can do that. It's all good. Yeah, on the Stitcher, they have a thumbs up, thumbs down. If you like an episode, don't like an episode, nice. type of thing. And so, you know, any any little feedback is great. Plus, we always like to hear from you, so you can you know send us email at feedback at times three dot com or leave comment at the site uh, for this episode times three dot com slash one thirty four. And you can also leave us voicemail where your voice may appear on a future episode. Oh, look at that. actually use the voicemail uh, <laughs> thing on the, at the website. <laughs> it's all, you know, it's all... It's all very high-tech, everybody. It's, it's, there's lots We're making of it happen. There's lots of options to tell us what you think about the shows we talked about this week and uh, our guest. And, and what cool. And at, on the show notes, we'll have links to where you can find uh, Miles online. Yeah. He appears in various locations. And uh, next week will be uh, Daniel, the TV addict. Uh, from TV Addict, the TV Addict.com will be joining me along with somebody else that's still yet to be determined. Oh, to be determined. Little, uh, yeah, a little thing on uh, if you're listening to this episode and wondering why the last episode took so long to get out, I had a little bit of a computer crash, which is uh, coming back from that has been uh, what I've been doing the last week. Oh, that's the worst. So, so yeah, that's why I don't have... Uh, guess yet i've sort of put everything on hold to put my new system together and get back up and running so that we can and uh hopefully you'll actually be listening to this episode that um that it actually recorded oh my god if it didn't record we had some great <laughs> things that we said uh, we'll we'll just cross our fingers because i'm not repeating myself no um all right well on that note i gotta go to a softball game because it stopped raining stop raining awesome stop raining all right folks, and i will say night. Uh, everyone needs to check out the picture from the Abrams Kripke drama Revolution. It is the most generic thing I've seen in my entire life. Nice. <laughs> nice. Going to look at it right now. All it right. is wonderful. All right. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. We sit glued to the TV set all night. And every night. Why go into the outside world at all? It's such a fright. We got nothing better to do than watch TV and have a couple of brews.